Kids, stay active. Don't stop till you're active, active. Get your heart rate maxing, active. You'll feel fantastic. Live life fast, not drastic, yeah. Get your trainers on, like a bandit. Green line, drop, scranite, sedentary, lifestyle, ban it. Big up to that miracle, physical truth. We're spreading delayed gratification across the whole nation. Delayed gratification to ease your frustrations. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the DXBPE podcast. I've come into work early this morning to record this intro and on the way in I was listening to a new podcast that I've recently found and I thought I've got to share this with everyone at the start of the episode. Usually, as you know, at the end of our episode we will always ask our guest to recommend a podcast or a book, but today I'm throwing this one right at the beginning because it's got to be highly, highly recommended. The name of the podcast is The Real Science of Sport. This is done by two South African gentlemen, one of them an extremely, I think, well-informed sports scientist. He's really on the money. Let me just list some of the recent titles of episodes that they've done. How Fast Do We Lose Fitness? The Art of Fitness Resilience. Why Transgender Athletes Threaten the Fairness in Women's Sport. The Psychology of Food. The Freeman Doping Affair, the case against Team Sky in British cycling. What I love about this podcast is it's all based on science. It's a scientific argument. They debunk some common misconceptions. And I think if you're someone who is interested in sport, you're a sportsman yourself, you, you train, or perhaps you teach A-level, GCSE, diploma, PE, this could be one for you and your students really recommend this go and have a listen the real science of sport before we get started a reminder of who we are dxbpe is the professional development branch of dasa a not-for-profit organization that facilitates high quality sport for over 80 schools here in dubai we also wish to offer our thanks to our show sponsor, Gulf U Sport, the voice of youth sports in the Middle East. And also Twedex, the go-to company for international school sports tours and events. Please note that all views expressed in this podcast are that of the individual and not of the school or organization that they represent. Opinions expressed also do not reflect the views of DASA and or its associated partners. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Just search DXBPE. You can also find us on YouTube, some webinars that we've done in the past, Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date. If you have any questions or queries, please email admin at dasasport.org. So whether you're listening in the car, traveling to or from work, or you're just out on a run, we hope you enjoy this episode. So today, episode five of the DXBPE podcast, you can expect some rapping today, lots of metaphors and quotes, and great advice too from our guest. So I'll throw it over to Matt, my co-host, for the intros. So today we are joined by Matt Thomas from Gems Wellington Academy, Silicon Oasis. Matt attended Bedford High School, a mixed comprehensive school in Lee, England. 
Notable alumni include 1966 World Cup winner and Liverpool FC hero Roger Hunt, England Rugby League's Mickey Hyam and Sheffield United's Michael Tong. Matt later went on to study physical education at Bangor University in Wales. And prior to moving over to Dubai, he spent some time at Queen Ethelburgers in York and the, right, excuse me for saying this, the Swam in Orion. Am I Ryan? <laughs> Is that right? British Hindu school in London. You've got some uh, some interesting Welsh schools on there as well. You'll have to fill me in on those. I don't dare say those. Um, Matt is a keen sportsman, but not content as just being a participant. He regularly takes on additional voluntary roles. In addition to working on a wide range of international projects overseas, he has also volunteered at Ironmans, Tough Mudders, World's Strongest Man competitions, Ski Dubai hikes, and even worked as a match day mascot at a local sports club. Can't wait to hear about that one as well. Uh, Matt is currently the head of lower PE uh, primary at GEMS WSO, recognised as Dubai's most cultural school by the Kalij Times. WSO is home to over 4,000 students from 103 nationalities. In 2015, they achieved the Guinness World Record for the greatest number of nationalities to simultaneously sing the UAE National Anthem. And that was 119 nationalities out of the uh, 195 countries in the world. Matt is a previous winner of Teacher of the Year at WSO and holds the position of physical education leader in the GEMS Network of Excellence. Great bio. You've done absolutely loads of stuff, Matt. Um, how are you getting on today? Cheers. Thank you very much for having me. I might have to ring my mum after that. That's, uh, that's <laughs> epic. I can't wait to send this to her. Oh, it's great to have you, Matt. And um, thank you for joining us. We... Uh, me and uh, Matt Dams, we're, we're talking about wanting to have a nice diverse range of guests, you know, and we, we've had a few directors of sports. Um, we had Michelle last time, which was great. And, and now I suppose you are hitting a different um, category of guests. You know, you're you're our youngest to date. Congratulations. Yes. You know, you've obviously got a very different experience and, and different passions. So our first question really is, I know Matt has just covered lots of things there, but can you tell us something that most people might not know about you? Yeah, so something I left off that is that I'm a massive fan of the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series. So every year, my wife, Emily, and I would take a pilgrimage to a random part of Europe to watch a small group of elite men and women jump, twist, turn, plunge, feet first into water from about 27 metres up in the air. And uh, yeah, it's such an amazing holiday and we can't wait for it all to, to start again. Have you ever done that yourself? Um, I've got to 10 and then I've been scared. <laughs> <laughs> nice. They did that at the Dubai Marina once a few years ago. Did you see that? Yeah, definitely. I was there and they've done ones, amazing ones in um, like Ponte de Legado in the Azor Islands and Paliano Mare in Italy. It's just a, it's an amazing weekend and I encourage everyone to, to try it. On, the, on that then, just before we delve into PE and sport and, and leadership and all the good stuff we normally cover... What what got you into volunteering at all these events and which is the your favourite? Because obviously, for someone, I mean, we've all volunteered at one or two things, but this is an unbelievable amount of different events. And, uh, and what, yeah, which stands out for you? The best one and probably the one that I'll keep on doing throughout my time in Dubai is being a, a paddleboard safety marshal at the Ironman 70.3. It's great. And it only takes up half your day. And um you get to go out parallel to the Burj Al Arab and you get to see the elite swimmers come off. And then you get to see all the casual um, 
what's the word, social sport warriors that go through the water and you get to see some cheat and you have to guide them back. And it's a, yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing perspective. And when the sun rises over the verge, you've realized you, you're on a winner. Can you give me a, a toe next year then, Matt, in February? Yeah, definitely. Cheers, thanks. Our first question for you, Matt, is, uh, yes. is why, why PE? Why did you choose PE as a, as a career? Definitely. Um, it's the best sport out there. And I know we're all biased when we say it, but you could pick up any study at random and you can see that PE is crucial in helping children regulate their emotions, find and sustain friendships. And then you've got its obvious bread and butter, which is improving every child's physical and mental well-being. We joke in performing arts and say they're a triple threat. They can sing, they can dance, they can act. Well, P is quadruple threat, and there's no other subjects that come close, in my opinion. So is your is your grandfather you talked about in um, previously? So your grandfather took you to a, a sports event, and that's what what got you into it. Was that yeah? Was that the um, the turning point? Was there anyone at school that motivated you to get into involved? That was in the it? that was the catalyst, yeah. But then from that, I became instantly sporty, and so obviously I had affiliation with my PE teacher. Um, called Mr. Drinnen and he was without a doubt an inspiration because we've all had those same PE teachers that would play bench ball, stick the bleep test on when it was raining just to pass the time but he was part of a different mould. He, um, I remember him wearing this big thick Nike lanyard and he drove like a blue Fiat Punto to school which I thought was really cool. He had some new unique ways of looking at the same sports we played and now I know the lingo it was a lot of teaching games for understanding model a lot of his approach was whole part whole. And this one time he came into one of my GCSE lessons and he said, right, you have to play, you have to partake in an athletics event and you're doing the 400 meters. I've already contacted your mum. I'm going to drive you home. I'm going to pick up your brother's spikes and then we're going to go. So I was like, brilliant. I'm missing school. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get there, I come last and I'm back on the minibus on the way home. But I never, rem- I always remember that the fact he took the time out of his day to include me. And that's what PE is all about, really. It's such an inclusive practice. And yeah, and hopefully I can give that same energy to the kids at school. Yeah, we, we've all got that, that teacher, haven't we? I think especially PE teachers have all, all really remember their PE teacher at school. And I had one, he, he drove me to my house and, and picked up my shin pads one day for me. And I, I still don't know why he did it. Because if, if a kid forgets the shin pads for me, it's not even a consideration. <laughs> it's, it's unlucky lesson learned. But no, that, that really stands out. Matt, in, in looking, I can tell that you're very passionate about PE and, and anyone who would speak to you about PE and sports and teaching, uh, it will be immediately obvious to them that you are, you know, genuinely passionate about this subject. But for you, if you had to describe to perhaps a, someone who doesn't teach PE or who, who has no idea what, what it's about, what would you say subject passion really looks like in our subject? So I did a little bit of research and I had to define what, what passion was for me. And uh, because I'm in leadership now, I've got a LinkedIn profile and uh, Simon Sinek's always on there. And he says, working hard for something you don't care about, is called stress. Working hard for something we love is called passion. And it's clear to see that, that what I do, I love. I can't wait to get to school in the morning. And at a time where our fixtures and our um, extra trainers in the morning would indicate passion, that's not available anymore. So it's really important that we kind of project our passion in different ways. So this year, passions look like a PE teacher juggling on his morning duty or a PE teacher working with the performing arts team in the model foreign languages to create a rap about staying physically active. I can perform this if needed, guys, just let you know. Um, It's uh, taking part with a community fast 
uh, with the Arabic department and then playing sport afterwards to uh, put yourself in the shoes of others. In summary, it's all about your evidence and what you project on the school. If you're passionate and you love something, you're instantly adding value. If you're not, you're just taking it away from the kids. Right. I'm, 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 I know Matt Downs wants this as well. You're going to have to perform in 10, <laughs> 10 seconds. Come on. Uh, are you ready? Okay. Yeah. So kids, stay active. Don't stop till you're active, active. Get your heart rate maxing, active. You'll feel fantastic. Live life fast, not drastic. Yeah. Get your trainers on like a bandit, green line, drop, granite, sedentary, lifestyle, ban it. Big up to that miracle, physical truth. We're spreading delayed gratification across the whole nation. Delayed gratification to ease your frustrations. <laughs> yes. Okay. That is awesome. Well done. I tell you Cheers, lads. Well done. Because well, you wrote that yourself as well. In collaboration with Modern Foreign Languages, with Performing Arts, because they had something called Mother Tongue Week. And it was really important for everyone to kind of uh, embrace that, do a community-wide initiative. And yeah, as, as a result, we've got this amazing piece. Unreal. So do you, do you work in collaboration with other departments a lot? Or is it kind of just since lockdown that you've, you've worked across the spectrum? Uh, in the past, it's always been with performing arts to kind of share the, the best kids. Mm. So we're aware that some kids are multi-talented. And it's best to make sure they can have a little bit of sport and a little bit of performing arts. Uh, since lockdown, we've managed to work with a whole different range of staff, mainly because we all share offices within the school. There's not just one PE office anymore. During lockdown, if that was to happen, all the PE team would not be in school. Mm -hmm. So now we have, um, I share with the French, Arabic and some PE staff. And so we're all able to learn from each other. And that's led to further collaboration within the school. Right, that's something I've, I've not heard of anyone doing that. Any other schools doing that? Is it Ed, have you have you heard of schools doing that? No, I mean we, we don't personally, but I have I've heard of a. I think it's been across the Gems Network. It's been quite a strategy to make sure whole departments mm. don't get wiped out, and I think it's quite a quite a clever approach, really. Yeah. So yeah. what have you what have you picked up from that, Matt? What's what's come out good that's come out of it that you you take next year? Well, inshallah, next year when we all come back to having a PE is normal. The best thing was probably last week. There was something called Airport Week, and that was the transition between uh, year three to year four, year four to year five, where every year there's a different language. And we played handball and we spoke in German. So the, the kids really gained a lot from it. And I think it was clear to see there was partnerships there with, with teaching staff that wouldn't have happened if we weren't sharing the same spaces. I'm curious, Matt, because you know, from the outside looking into GEMS, it's obviously, it's a huge company and you're at one of their biggest, you know, flagship schools, you know, with a capacity of up to four and a half thousand students, I think you said, which is, is mind blowing really. I think where, where I am now, I think when we reach capacity, it'll be around 14, 1500. What for you have been the professional benefits and positives of working in an organization like that? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's very impactful. And uh, it's a huge school with a huge heart. One decision can benefit thousands of children, hundreds of staff, just like that. Um, we obviously get to work with a diverse range of staff from all over the world. And what's different about WSO is that there's so many amazing middle and senior leaders that all start off as teachers from WSO. Um, they put so much effort, and a lot of other GEM schools do, but from my understanding, there's so much emphasis on middle leader development at WSO. Uh, to make us feel empowered and to make us stay. So on on that, your fourteen classes, you know, coming just in one year group. How do you, as a, a leader of 
of PE in a, a section of the school ensure that children in all those classes with all those different teachers are getting the same experience and the same high quality experience that you would expect as the as the leader of that department yeah definitely we have some underpinning values and those are to keep lessons safe fun and memorable from that we use the weekly planning model so we don't just have a bank of um schemes of work that we send out to PE teachers everything is done very reflective of the environment that we're in so for example our planning is done on a weekly basis and has been for the past three years so teachers have got into the mold of saying, okay, that lesson was great, but it needs to go somewhere else. Or that lesson was fine, let's repeat it for next week. And then teachers can kind of ad hoc and choose what they want to do, have the freedom to teach, but at the same time, ensuring that everything's similar for that child's journey. Yeah, so then do you see then as that your particular school has you know, a real clear path of progression to sort of fuel your ambition and your aspirations to become you know, potentially a, a senior leader in the, in the future. Yeah, definitely. To put it in perspective, our, um, our CEO, um, Sarah Regan, she started life as an FS teacher. Right. And our current principal, Nathan Sadler, he was a teacher at the school. And so there's that clear pathway from your very first day due to your last, and there'd been a lot of growth. Oh, okay. So from, from a, let's look at a PE's perspective, just give us a bit of context. Um, year seven right yeah. how many how many PE classes or, or students are there in year seven at your school uh, I think there'll be because I'm in charge of the lower primary oh sorry give me, give me year, year year whatever one of your year groups yeah it normally follows uh, when I first arrived it was a 14 form entry school right so you'd, you'd imagine like 14 FS1 classes 14 FS2 and it gets bigger and bigger and as you hit year six to year seven Obviously, that's where the transition happens. And some children might like to go somewhere else. Some children we obviously want to keep and stay to nurture and develop their talents. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's a huge school with a huge heart. And I think they're underestimated in the, in the DASA and Dubai school game structure. Um, mm. I think just because it's a company doesn't mean that our standards aren't as high, that we mm. don't care for each child as much as we could. And our facilities are not, are not the best, but in fact, they are. They're incredible. Yeah, they are incredible. And uh, I think a lot of GEM schools are designed very, very well. So, Matt, with all those values and everything that everyone have bought into, how do you, as the leader of that staff body, ensure that, you know, what, what are you doing on a daily basis? What are you doing on the ground as a leader and a manager to make sure that, you know, this is actually happening? Yeah, so when I first came into leadership, I thought I had to make a big splash. I'd equate it's like a, a whale in the ocean. Uh, but now I know it's more about making those little ripples like a dolphin traveling through the sea. So I'm there to check up. I'm there to guide. I'm there to be active, listened, to prompt people uh, as opposed to tell them what to do. Uh, you want teachers to be autonomous and to get on with their work. But sometimes they need a little bit of extra help to get along the way. We have teachers here who have been here for years and uh, teachers who are primary school teachers that have come into PE teaching. So everyone's at a different level. And it's my job to help them get to the destination where they need to be. So you've got a, you know, I, I don't envy you in that job. I mean, I, I envy, I love leading, but it is so, <laughs> it's so difficult, you know, to have that many to, to lead and to manage. And, and you can't, you, you're one person. So you have to have, I imagine, you know, lots of buy-in into the, into the ethos and the values. And I think, 
you know that that's that's going to be really important in the bigger you school you get if you're in a department of three or four it's easy to do learning walks isn't it you know and yeah. and, and chat about it but um in, in your instance that must be a real challenge yeah, there's 20 staff if you count them and they're all from different uh, various roles within the school you have jason at the top who's the director of academy and then it goes all the way through to our PE technician, Mr. Arif, who you, they say like, you can't build a house without a foundation and that man is the foundation of our school. You mentioned um, having given your, your staff autonomy and you kind of, you set like a tone and you want them to follow that, but you know, have, make their own decisions. How much autonomy do you have as a leader in, in such a huge school and obviously a huge school that's also part of a huge corporation? How much autonomy do you have to, uh, to run your own department? Yeah, by autonomy, you mean we mean freedom. We mean um, letting our own intrinsic motivation affect our practice. Then I'd say, yeah, I've got I've got loads in abundance. I think um, Jason and, and the senior leadership um, are very happy to say yes. I think it's um, it's very nice to have people that support you, and if you come to them with um, a new idea, something that needs to be trialed, uh, they're an open book, and uh, because everyone's been teachers at the school before, they know everyone's kind of interests and everyone's best uh, ways to help. And that's all our school is. It's just a platform to help others. I think we've got a real good idea of um, mm. your context and where you're working and, and the setup. That's, that's been great. Thank you. I'm going to segue a little bit now, because I know you're working on things outside of your school as well for the, the broader PE community. So Matt, are, they, are there any big plans for the PE community um, that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, definitely. So um, for those who don't know, I've uh, started something quite unique, which is the um, Determination Games, which is now going to be called the Unified Games. And it's not just me. It's in partnership with the Dubai School Games Network. And what we're trying to do is to give children of determination um, the right to have competitive sporting opportunities in Dubai. Um, started very from humble beginnings, our first tournament in 2019. And then in 2020, before the pandemic took over, it was, um, I think, about 250 people were coming from various schools. And then we tried to get it off the ground in 2021 at Dubai Sports World. However, just as the new information came through with the everyone needing uh, fully vaccinated people to attend community sports events, that sadly had to be put on pause for next year. So, yeah, that's the that's my baby in a way. And if it ever was to leave Dubai, that would be something that I'd be disappointed if it wasn't really carried on. What do you guys think about it? How have you got inclusion people at your school? Yeah, so um, I I teach a boy um, I've done for the last couple of years. And when he was in the primary school, I was in, in the pool with him for swimming lessons. That was great. As he's getting older, um, he's becoming more, he's taking less risks. He's le less willing to, you know, take risks and, and play play basketball with the boys and the boys are great with him, you know, but their intensity of participation is increasing. Um, and I think that is, gets more and more intimidating for him. And I, I do feel often guilty at the end of my lessons and I, you know, I, I want to be more upskilled and I'm like, I, I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm failing him. He's very happy and he, he contributes a lot and, you know, he'll do other things around the lesson, but yeah, I think it's, it's so essential that, that we get this up and running in, in the UAE and in Dubai. There's lots of great things going on on a big scale, but are things really happening at a grassroots level, you know, from a, on a school basis, day to day? I think someone like yourself 
and and all the things Holly did as well for uh, Heroes for Hope. Is there any is is there any collaboration there? Are they two separate things? Yeah, definitely. So Holly came on board um, midway through the Dubai School Games, and we had a meeting with her, and she has such amazing insight into our games, how we should operate, and. Yeah, I think collaboration is, is the theme of this podcast because without these people, uh, I wouldn't be in the situation I am today talking to you guys. There's no black and whites, right? There's always a, there's always a, a grey and it's that spectrum of, of what classifies someone as, as, um, as determined athlete or what, what special needs do they need to have to enter? And we're kind of thinking, right, well, which kids do we enter? Because we've obviously got there's some that uh, have got special needs, but would they, would they appreciate necessarily... you? an email f- from us saying, right, we put you through to the special needs games or the determination games and how would the parents take that? So there's, we've, we've definitely had some conversations with our inclusion department trying to work out how could we get more kids involved in this because we want the kids that don't have the opportunity to play sport to be able to get involved in this competitive sport and, you know, wear the, the school badge at a fixture and, and go on the bus with their mates and have these great experiences, which, you know, which is why we're involved in PE and sport now and why why we're all over here and, and trying to trying to push sport what what would you say or what advice have you got to to teachers or heads of department or people trying to include um determined athletes more in their PE lessons yeah definitely it's a bit of an oxymoron where uh, you're trying to include people but you're bringing them to an exclusive event so what i'd say is is the, the reason it's going to be called unified tournament is because hopefully in the future uh, these children of determination can bring their brothers, their sisters, their friends, and test out different sports that would normally not be on the DASA calendar, such as co-ed sports like Quidditch, Ultimate Frisbee, Spikeball, Kinball, to give them a chance of being included, to make them feel empowered and valued at the end of the day. Because we all leave school, and some of us have amazing experiences of our PE, and they become PE teachers. But there's a lot of people who don't have that experience, and they, they end up resenting the subject, which is something that I'd like to avoid um, to get the kids to see past the 60 minute lesson and look 60 years into their future. I think that's the, the big hook that we want to kids to remember in their PE lessons. Yeah, I think that great. The, the idea of unifying them is, it's always got me with the, um, the Olympic games, you've got the Olympic games and the Paralympic games. And obviously people think Paralympic is like to do with paraplegic or whatever, but it's meant to be running parallel to the Olympics. But then why yeah, does one event happen different from the other why can't the two events i suppose it's different with uh, facility wise but particularly with the track athletes and, and those sort of those events they could they could run them at the at the same time if they wanted it to be truly um as you said unified and, and people competing at the same they should definitely try to try to link them i think it's a great idea moving forward yeah definitely that's happening in birmingham a lot and that happens a lot with the special olympics that happened in abu dhabi in 2019 so from that that was the real catalyst for this change in our Dubai School Network. It's great, Matt, and I'm, I'm glad there's someone like you driving it and, and giving it your energy. And I encourage anybody listening, um, you know, to, to reach out to Matt if, if this is something, you know, you've been looking at DASA and the Dubai School Games or, and other areas of Dubai thinking, where can I get involved? Where can I help? You know, and you might not want to run a league, but you might want to make an impact and, and make a name for yourself and, and you know, help uh, young people in in Dubai so reach out to Matt Thomas uh, he's he's available and I'm sure you're uh, Matt I'm, ass- I'm assuming here you want people to come forward and help yeah definitely um, I think well, I say it as well but the, in the joy of progress of others lies our own 
So in the joy and progress of others lies our own. And I think um, when we invest our time in other people, we become happier as a result. It's a man of many metaphors as well. <laughs> um, Matt, where do you see yourself in the next, I don't know, I'm going to go for 10 years. 10 years. Um, hopefully a dad. Shout out to Emily, who's saying <laughs> this right now. Um, and uh, I'd love to still be teaching and leading in PE, but to have more of a pastoral focus. So at the moment, I'm, I lead PE within the GEMS network uh, with, a, with my colleague, Jason. But I'd love to be, for example, the head of well-being uh, across the GEMS network. So then I'm not just looking after one subject. I'm looking after everyone's um, kind of physical, mental, social well-being too. If you were that head of well-being across that network, what, what type of leader would you be and what do you think makes a good leader? Yeah, um, I think great leaders can actively listen. They can make informed choices based on current research and are open to feedback. Um, in 10 years, I'm not sure what type of leader I'd like to be, uh, but at the moment, I'm quite a pace setter. I like to say visionary, but at the same time, I'm very micro ambitious. I get into work and I try and do my very best every day. And then eventually that piles up and I'm, I'm there to see the results of that. What are the um what what are the lessons that you've you've kind of learned obviously coming in from um coming into Dubai and then now taking on a leadership role as lower primary PE what what have you learned along and to build as many relationships as you can um I've got another one for you uh, Roy Hodgson says speak to everyone every day and mm. that's impossible at our school because there's so many there's like 400 staff members for example um not all of them are teachers but just a smile and a wave goes a long way. And I feel like I've built up enough relationships in the school. So then if I have to have a difficult conversation with a staff member or I have to ask something of somebody, they're able to respond to me open and honestly. I'd say then the next one is time management. In our school, we have a lot of leadership responsibilities, but they shouldn't outweigh your teaching. Try and find time within your timetable for, for different leadership tasks. And I'm sure we've all been in a lesson where we wanted to do something else but ultimately the kids come first. And if you're not there and you're doing something else that's leadership, the kids are going to ultimately miss out. They always come back and say, where have you been? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I've had a meeting. Like, so like, I'd feel guilty if, um, if I was to miss a lesson, for example, to do a leadership task. Has there, has there been a leader or someone that you've worked with professionally that has had a major impact on you and maybe someone you would partly model yourself on i mean you, you're secure in your own the way you want to be as a leader but has there been anyone in your career so far that's had a real impact yeah definitely um i'm not discrediting anyone at my school they're all amazing they're all awesome but it's, it's the first person who gave me a job uh, mr umesh raja he's the head teacher at the very first school in london which i'll for matthew who said at the beginning it's called swami narayan so like make up in a syllable, swam in uh, Ryan. And Ryan. it's a religious school. It's an um, independent school by nature. It's uh, part of the ISI, which has the independent schools bracket. But in itself, it's a Hindu faith school. Um, and he didn't so much care about me as a PE teacher. He cared about me as a person. And he gave me so many life lessons. For example, every Friday, we went to a temple across the road. And that temple, uh, I can send it through. It's, um, it's made out of Italian marble. It's very auspicious. Um, thousands of people go there in London um, and across Europe. And there's so many saints there who devote their lives to their practice. 
that every assembly is like a life coaching session in a way where they've got all this knowledge they want to impart of our kids, but it also rubs off on their teachers. And I am better. I'm a direct result of all those lessons. And I try and embody that into my teaching practice. Sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? But in fact, it's, it's so holistic and personable. And yeah, I wouldn't be the person I am today without his insight and professional coaching. And was, was that school one you set out to get a job at? Or was this like many of us when we start our career and we get our NQT, it's who's going to give me a job? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I am. Um, I think I had two interviews and I had one in Salford, one in London. And I asked Emily and I said, which one do you think? And she said, which one's the best? Which one do you think you'll be, you'll be an amazing teacher at? And it was definitely the one in London because on their website, they just said they had every teacher from every part of the world to give these children who were second generation Indian um, a chance to have a diverse curriculum. And I thought that was amazing. And uh, yeah, so when I got there, I was the only uh, Northwest Englishman there. And the rest was Irish, South African, uh, American, Australian, Canadian. So yeah, the, we were, it was a very unique and diverse place and I had an amazing experience there. Was that, was that um, partly what attracted you to GEMS WSA because of the, the cultural influences? I know you've, you've done some volunteering in India and Lesotho and then you worked at this Hindu school. Have, is, is that something that now you're going to seek in future employment that it's got to have a broad uh, cultural influence? Yeah, I think um, you can't help where you're from in the world, but you can help the, the, the interactions you have with people. So I think the, my next step, if I ever was to leave, was to be to find somewhere that, that's very multicultural because of the amount of impact you can have on those children and their lives. What have um, you mentioned before? You're a visionary and, you know, you've got this, whether it's for your um, unified games or for your department, how do you help communicate this, your vision to your departments or your teams, uh, particularly when you've got such a broad um, experience base and you know you've got some leadership in there you've got some lower teachers you've got people from all these different countries how do you manage to communicate to your team yeah um, our vision statement where we want to be for gems is very clear they have um, a 2018 to 2021 vision for WSO and it's printed on the walls so as you walk into primary as you walk into secondary you've got these big overarching bubbles and we're number five and it says Sport is for excellence, a combination of specialist teachers, first-class facilities, and a breadth of curriculum that provides students with the opportunity to develop their talents. Now that's their vision. Now we have a need a structure of where we want to go and how we want to do it. Um, so we do things like we update our action plans. From the action plans that transcends into meetings that we have weekly, we have a Sunday meeting to make sure people know what they're doing, but then a Thursday meeting, and we call it sharing great practice, where we kind of mop up what's happened in the week and then project into next week of how we can help achieve those kids get better results in a secondary sense, in a middle school sense, and also in a lower primary sense too. Matt, how, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I was going to ask you that same question. Before, um, 30, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 30. Yeah, how old are you? At 33, look like I'm 44. Um you look a lot younger than me to say there's only three years difference. And um, <laughs> what advice would you give to aspiring, to PE teachers who are aspiring to be leaders? Because it, it seems to me like you, you've been on a quite a path of, and you've taken every opportunity going. 
you know, what advice would you give? Yeah, um, my brother, when I became a newly qualified teacher, he's a PE teacher in Dubai as well, um, for North Anglia, and he says, just say yes. And then you figure out how to do everything later, which in fairness, Richard Branson also said that, but I think because my brother said that, it's kind of held a, a unique uh, place in my heart. And Richard so, like, Branson got it from your brother, I think. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but um, yeah, so saying yes and making myself open to opportunities has created um, a direct a benefit to my life. So from that, I'd say, say yes, but then I'd refine it a little bit more and say, say yes to things you're passionate about. Say yes to things that can add value to your career. Uh, and then probably the biggest one for myself is that your brain is for having ideas, not for keeping them. At the start, I was too shy to speak out. Instead, I used to nod and agree, but I knew in my heart it could be done a better and easier way. But I still went through with the motions because I was new to teaching and I had a lot of respect for my senior leaders. Whereas now I can communicate effectively, come to some kind of middle ground, and then we're all better as a result. And then the last one... Oh, oh, sorry. No, carry on. No, carry on, carry on. The last one would be check my spelling. Uh, as a PE teacher, <laughs> we're always finding ourselves going from pillar to post and we rush and mistakes inevitably pop up. But I'd say breathe, take my time and then proofread somebody, somebody to proofread our work for us and then press send. That's great. Um, when you mentioned saying yes, saying yes to everything, particularly when you start of your career, you've just got to just grab every opportunity and you know you, you have opportunities and you have regrets and you you always it's the things you say no to you that you end up regretting and I was listening to a, um, a podcast with I think his name is Derek Sivers and it was on the uh, Tim Ferriss podcast and he said you start off saying yes to everything and then it should become you either say hell yes as in yes I really want to do it I'm really passionate about it or no and you, you get the more you, you get better at saying no, so that when you have the time, uh, that you then got the free time, so that when something does come about that you're really, really passionate about, as you say, Matt, then you've got the opportunity to just go, yep, I'm going to throw everything into this. Um, has there ever been a time when you've kind of bitten off too much and you've had too much responsibility? Because, you, again, just looking through the stuff you've done, you've done absolutely loads of things. Have you ever done been had too much? And then how have you kind of managed yourself out of it? Yeah, the, at the start of my career, I said yes, and I became a PE teacher at the school in London. But at the same time, some of the teachers said no, and they, they weren't a part of the school anymore. So therefore, I took on their responsibilities. Uh, one of them was a class teacher. Another one was a senior leader. So then I became kind of snowballed. I was staying later as an NQT. I was classroom teaching in my freeze, and I was PE teacher on top of that because I wanted to help the school. I saw that they needed support, and I was there for them. Um, in a result, um, it kind of, yeah, it snowballed on me and I wasn't able to manage my time, but then I spoke out and then I communicated how I was feeling inside and then it got better. So I'd say from that, from, there's a term pressure makes diamonds and I'm not saying I'm shining under no circumstances, but what I'd like to say is, is going through all that has made me better as a result. And it, it's the elephant in the room sometimes. Sometimes PE teachers think that they need to be paid to do a certain position where in fact, if you show yourself early on that you could do extra work, then in the future, you'll be considered for those positions. So it's kind of yeah, elephant in the room at times, but yeah, I'd say definitely if, if I've had that initial difficulty, uh, speaking out has made it naturally better because teachers are quite empathetic. And if you communicate with them openly and honestly, you're going to be better as a result.
Um, Matt, earlier you said um, your leadership style can at times be pace setting and then other times be visionary style. Yeah. I think Matt, Matt actually referred to you as a visionary earlier in the podcast. Um, <laughs> but what these are the, this is something I, I intend to read up on over the over the summer. And if you've got a book recommendation, I'd, I'd love to hear it. How do you hold people to account? How do you have difficult conversations? what is your approach to that so at the start we did we obviously do a 360 at the school and just like you my uh, biggest area was um, handling disagreements so that was the very start we've done one last week another last month and currently it's in the middle of the pack so there's definitely been an improvement from start to finish um, and how I performance manage my team, how I hold them accountable is very similar to Captain Lee in Below Deck, if you've seen the, uh, the Netflix show. So he, uh, he said something to me where he was like, he didn't say it to me, he said it to millions of people online, but um, he said it on his episode where uh, the first time you do something wrong, it's a mistake. The second time it's a pattern and he never lets you get to three because he has an honest and upfront conversation with those people. And I think that if you find a pattern and a trend, it's very important to stop it. So for example, if uh, you've noticed a colleague's coming late to work, you've seen it once, there could be a mitigating circumstances, you leave it alone. You see it happen the second time, you have that conversation. It's polite, it's well-mannered. Um, you try and put yourself in the shoes of others and then you're able to have that honest conversation and get a better result. So that's like, that's the best way to do a negative reinforcement strategy. And I'd say at the end of every charter, Captain Lee will get everyone in the room and he say nice things about them. And in our school, we have ways of creating, communicating gratitude. So from face-to-face -face interactions before COVID, now it's more of a shout out on Teams, a whole school message, or a heartfelt nomination in our termly and yearly teacher prizes, which I've been a result of. I only became teacher of the year because um, other teachers nominated me. And that's such, um, such a empowering way to go through your life. And it's made me more motivated to stay in the school and to do better as a result. That, um, that conversation on the second time or the third time when you identify the pattern, do you, where do you have that conversation? How do you time it? Do you set up a meeting? Is it a corridor? It's uh, everything in between. So like I said before, and hopefully the colleague, my colleagues can testify to this, it is a combination because no one's the same everyone's different and maybe one method is better for somebody and maybe one method isn't but there's only way to do that is to is to go through the motions and you feel like the best strategy is this at this time so you're going to go with it but like I said I'm lucky enough to, to work with some amazing colleagues and um, yeah every time something like this pops up it's kind of nips in the bud straight away. I think yeah that, that's a key one that I've learned the more I dwell on it and put the conversation off yeah I, it work. It gets worked up in me, and, I, and then when I have the conversation, it's actually not a big deal at all. They're like, "Oh yeah, okay, no problem." But I, I work it up in my own mind that it's going to be a problem because I'm fearful of an, a negative effect on the relationship. Which just getting it nipped in the bud, like you just said, having that conversation as early as possible, it's better for you. It's better for them. It builds trust and honesty in the team. So I think that's that's good advice uh, from yourself there. Yeah, if you've not got the, I suppose not courage, but if you, if, you, if you can't speak to somebody about something, it's probably either too small for you to be worried about anyway. You know, if you either, you either mention it to someone, give them opportunity to correct it or just get over it altogether. And sometimes, like you say, those small conversations, you build them up in your head anyway 
and it could just be a sake of them being a couple of minutes late or not wearing the right kit or whatever it is. And then you just mentioned it. It's like, oh, yeah, the, you know, there's a legit reason behind it. And they're happy that you've noticed it. And it gives you an opportunity to have a bit of a conversation about something anyway, which is great because you're getting to know your team all the better. And, uh, and sometimes, yeah, it's, it's just nothing. And, and it's having a conversation. Oh, uh, yeah. Probably, I'd probably say never do it on a Thursday because then you don't want anything, any negative connotations going through all to the weekend. And for them to worry about what's going on, you'd rather pick it up fresh on a Sunday. Great. That's great. That's definitely great advice. It's like, um, yeah, if you've got any, anything with parents and stuff as well, right, you always, it's always good to try and catch them at the start of the week or children at the start of the week where they can kind of make, take action, make, make good use of that. What the uh, what have been the biggest lessons or learning curves in your career? We've got we've got a question here: is what what advice would you give yourself? But I think, you know, you've said say yes to everything, take every opportunity. But what what learning curves have you had early on? I'd say, um, probably my biggest learning curve is to be able to adapt to the needs of others. I'd say one solution doesn't fit everybody, and. Sometimes as a, as a young leader, I'm dealing with people a lot older than me. And so it's, it's really important that what I say has value and what I've said has research behind it because they've seen people come in, say some stuff and then leave. And there's no continuity. There's no um, reason why that's better. There's no research to back it up and there's no data to then take it forward. So I think whatever I say as a leader has to be um, available for everybody to have. And like Roy Hodgson, if I speak to everyone every day, but every time I speak to those people, I'm able to uh, create a sense of urgency to make sure that they understand the importance of, of what I need them to do. But at the same time, if they, yeah, I'd say the biggest life lesson is getting to the needs of others and helping them out. Matt, have, we, have you been involved in any recruitment in your role, any interviews? Uh, no, not in my current role. But back in London, I... Every Tuesday, went to the Institute of Education, where my headmaster and I interviewed potential PGC candidates, if that's applicable. I could, there's a lot of life yeah, lessons yeah. I, can, I can move from there. So, so all right, let's, let's I'll, I'll flip this around a little bit. When you've gone into interviews and you're preparing for an interview, what, what things do you prioritize? What things do you make sure come across in your application? So from me, the biggest, not trick, but I think the thing that's most helpful is getting to know the needs of the school. And the way I would do that would be to go to their ISI report, their Ofsted report, and I'd look at what their needs are as a school and figure out how I could help that within my PE practice. So for example, they've gone to Ofsted and you find out that your, your maths and your literacy could be better. Then you tailor your covering letter and add one or two paragraphs about that to make that headmaster who's watching that PE teacher that's looking that you actually took time out of your day to personalize it in a productive way. We can all sell ourselves, but at the same time, you're just going to sell yourself in comparison to the next person that's applying. You really want something to make you stand out and for you to add value to the school. If, uh, if I was a head teacher or even a head of department and I saw the PE teacher speaking about maths and literacy, in PE when I knew my school was that was a development target that would really impress and I think that is something that would get your foot in the door or at least on the good pile so to speak you know for further further reading and further discussion uh, that's great is there any what are the hardest questions you've been asked in an interview do you think is there any that yeah, stand I've got out? One here. 
this is the, probably the best one to say as well. Um, tell me about a time you've had to strive to overcome an obstacle to achieve a goal. And that's, that's a bigger word for than my school that I was at in my first year. But um, it's, it's so open-ended. And by the end of that question, so I say it again, tell me about a time you've had to strive to overcome an obstacle to achieve a goal. Give them about 30 seconds to think about it. And then when your answer is, you're always going to have something of real value at the end. And then I've always wondered about this one. And you say, what's 13 times 12? And then no one knows off the bat, but it's not about the result. It's about the strategy and how you get there. So how they deal with pressure, having the honesty to put their hand up and say, sorry, I don't know this one. And then, 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 yeah, then you've got that kind of characteristics as opposed to skills. And I think as PE teachers, we're always looking at the skills. We need this netball coach. We need this um, touch rugby specialist. However, how are they going to deal with pressure? Are they going to be honest and open in their communication? Um, there's that phrase, you can always teach skills, but in our subject, you kind of need them before you arrive. And so it's that finding that balance and, and, yeah, and moving forward with the best staff you have. What are the three non-negotiable behaviours then that you look for within your team? Uh, to be honest about how you're feeling, the notion of don't bring yourself to work is perhaps a little bit outdated. It's fine if you're teaching uh, one lesson and you want wanted to project a positive image to your students, but how long can that last? Um, if we know how you're feeling, then like I said before, we can put steps in place because there's no self-development without self-awareness. That's the ultimate. I'd love them to be so open that we can help them out every step of the way. Um, the second one is to challenge the status quo only if there's a better solution for the team. Um, that goes on my own kind of history where I was afraid to speak out at start. So what I'd love them to do is to get, hopefully give the staff a voice and for their voice to affect change. Like we all go for report season and at the end of the report season, someone's created a better way to do it. But that hasn't been shared with the team at the start. So hopefully by giving people a voice and making them know that if they say something, change will happen as a result, will be better for everybody. And then the last one is to keep lessons safe, fun, and memorable. I think this might be on my gravestone, lads. I say it this often. And uh, yeah, hopefully um, it's the foundation of our curriculum. Because like I said before with Arif, um, you can't build a house without a solid foundation. Nice one. And um, what, tell us about a, the best idea that you've ever stolen or acquired from another school or colleague. Yeah, we spoke about it before, uh, Holly Murphy. And um, the idea of the uh, Determination Unified Games came in direct response to the Special Olympics being held in Abu Dhabi. But it was our trip to the Infinity Games, which made it all applicable. So she had a multi-sports tournament, in, I think, October 2018. And when we, when we arrived, it was the best ever sporting event I've ever been to. It was so positive. It had a lot of people there who wouldn't normally have played sport. There was lots of affiliations with community sports departments around the UAE. You had UAE Paralympic Association, Special Olympics UAE. There was mascots flying around. It just had a more family and community sense to sport. And I think as PE teachers, we obviously want to replicate that the best we can for our kids. And so we acquired the outline from there. Since then, we went to David Tagney's uh, Determination Games at Horizon English School, and we collaborated with sharing some of the best events. And when we did our own, it was kind of, the best of this, the best of that. And we've created something quite magical, not just from a gems perspective, but now from a whole Dubai city perspective too. Have you got any um, 
you've, you've kind of mentioned so many different quotes and stuff. You've got to have a few that that jump out. Um, have you had any books or podcasts that you like to listen to? Anything that's really helped you along your journey that we could share with the, the listeners and, you know, take on for ourselves? Yeah, definitely. I'm sure we're all aware of the High Performance Podcast. And we speak all the time about those famous sports stars that are on there and the coaches that are on. I've not listened to the latest season yet, but my favorite ever episode wasn't from a sports person. It was from James Timpson and how generosity leads to wealth. Uh, just the way he talks about kindness being at the forefront of his business is such a nice thing to hear in today's world. Um, it's more of a, a teacher's approach as opposed to a corporate approach. And then my favorite book of all time is The Book of Joy. It's dialogue between Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. And there's, there's one quote in there that'll always stay with me. And it's the more time you spend thinking about yourself, the more suffering you'll experience. So if we flip that around, the more time we spend on others, the happier we will be. Yeah. Excellent. Matt, we're going to end it on that with Cheers, a huge right. amount of posi positivity. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for sharing all your wealth of, of knowledge and, and uh, ideas for PE. Thank you for everything you're doing for the community to drive um, sport for all forward. And I hope the the whole Dubai community, whatever their affiliation, will will buy in and support for the interest of the, the children, which is what it's all about. So thanks very much, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Matt was brilliant to talk to. Seems to me like the absolute perfect type of teacher to be a head of lower primary PE, a very fortunate bunch of students there at WSO. If you would like to be involved in the podcast or recommend someone to feature, please do get in touch. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And again, as always, if you do enjoy the podcast, please pass it on and encourage a friend or colleague to have a listen as well. Thanks very much. See you next time.